Empire of the Sun. Suns. Empire of the Suns. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Arizona Sports presents the Empire of the Suns podcast. Empire of the Suns. Hello there, and welcome to the Empire of the Suns podcast. My name is Kellen Olson, joined as always by someone who always meets my criteria. It's Kevin Zimmerman, my congested fellow, allergy-ridden friend. This is a tough Monday. Can we talk randomly about how the criteria conversation between Isaiah Thomas and Devin Booker not only is an Isaiah Thomas quote from the Michael Jordan series, but book used it and i don't know now if he used it originally what was that two years ago about the all-star game or something was he citing isaiah thomas anyway it's funny i didn't know he was citing him that's interesting or i could have, could have possibly been. cited him a but historian he's, so maybe he's always had this stance this is nothing new for uh book to it's a meme but also that's why i said it yeah yeah and then i quote tweeted my mvp story from a month and a half ago that you should be candidate and said criteria here it is yeah. i did it there's going to be random bits of silence in this podcast throughout because, like, I, dude, the allergies today, I don't know what's going on, but you and I are just sitting here clearing our throats while we get ready for this. Holy smokes. Okay, so the Suns have won eight games in a row, if I'm counting those W's right, on the schedules page. Is this... We shouldn't have that conversation. I was going to say, is this the most impressive week they've had of regular season? And that's... Just, it's getting back to what we talked about last week, and we're mostly not going to be talking about the way they're playing right now because... Two weeks ago, we had the conversation that I think a lot of people might be having right now, which is, is are they playing their best basketball right now? We already had that before Chris Paul gets back. Chris Paul returns for two games, and guess what, Kev? He just looks like Chris Paul. First yeah. half of that Denver game, okay, like the handle's a little bit off. He's throwing it at DeAndre Ayton's face when the guy's in the weak side corner, and he's like, oh, dear, my, my bad, my bad, I guess. One of the few, like he makes a pass and and um, he's just immediately said he's tired. immediately apologizes That's and about then it. he and he has been saying I'm I'm a little bit tired during some of these games. I'm getting my wind back for sure. Uh, but they win another very impressive back to back on the road to conclude a road trip at Minnesota. Carl Anthony Towns uh, does too much, and just like when Kevin Porter Jr. dunked off the backboard in the second quarter, when he did that, I knew the game was over. It was over. The Denver game, I don't know if it was more of that, but it was just there. What I wrote about, and let me know if you agree with this, I wrote this after the Thursday game, is that there is a new level of, the way that I described it is, if you are an optimist, you will call it confidence that they have. If you kind of want to be neutral, you'll call it swagger. And if you want to like be a pessimist about it, you'll say they're cocky. But they have this new level of bravado, Kevin, mm. where they just know they're the best team in the world right now. And they play like it against teams that don't believe it, if that makes sense. And, and and that sounds, let me explain the thought process here, because to go back to Book looking at Amir Coffee in Denver and being on the screen <laughs> and being like, okay, I'm scoring 49 tonight. I don't think that other teams don't think that. I think other teams agree that they're the best team in the league right now. But when they compete at a certain level and try and go toe-to-toe with them, they're like, are you kidding me? Are you going to try and actually beat us right now? It's that kind of level of competitiveness that they find that not a lot of teams can. And I know that doesn't make sense when I say it, but I mean, 
the quotes from Michael Jordan in The Last Dance didn't make any sense either, where he's like, yeah, I saw George Carl, and he didn't come up and say hi to me, and that was all I needed. And it was like, you're you're the same guy who wouldn't talk to it. And it's just there, you find ways to create this juice. And like Denver was getting a little bit excited, but I mean, everyone gets excited during those games. Philly, someone on the Philly bench said maybe, maybe said just like, nope, when Devin Booker took a shot. It could have been something that small. And then he was just jawing at them the rest of the first quarter when he scored 22 in the quarter. They're just finding these ways, and it's from everyone, too. Mikel Bridges is the guy to me where there's like an edge to his game now that wasn't there before, and it's the Chris Paul, Devin Booker basketball brainchild that we're seeing right now. It's crazy because Book is self-aware that he knows maybe it's a little crazy what he does and what motivates him. Like Even discussing the Amir Coffee thing, he's like, yeah, I just take everything... And then he says the crazy thing is like, I know they did that on purpose. I know they did that on purpose. And what the Clippers had played the night before or two nights before or something. So like from a objective perspective, it's like, yeah, they didn't mean to do that. I don't think Nuggets came out and said they didn't do it on purpose. Uh, someone from the Nuggets said that. But even if they're lying, I still think they didn't. They, yeah, mistake. Yeah, they didn't do it. Big on mistake, it turns out. But anyway, like that kind of stuff is the level they're playing at. And I think someone. Sorry, I don't remember who tweeted this, but someone tweeted last night after they beat Philly, like, Suns fans can go out and say whatever they want online, and they have no worries about it being a repercussion because they know the Suns are that good. Like, I think I said to my wife at, like, the five-minute mark, they're up by five or something like that late in the game. It was a close game, and I was like, they're going to blow them out, aren't they? And then they just pull away because you expect these things that's the type of confidence like outsiders have about them so yeah I mean they're at another level competitively and it's just crazy because I think everyone believes in human nature and human nature on the other side for opponents is to go at them and know that they're the best team and the Suns human nature is we got the number one seed locked down we got to be healthy but they're just not it didn't click over after the Minnesota game once they locked that in, and it didn't doesn't look like they are aware that they're not really playing for anything, to be quite honest. Like, yeah, for fun, to stay in shape because they want to win, um, but they really, really want to win. Landry Shamit, I think, is just about there when it comes to this being a real thing that is consistent and sustainable with his level of play. That's the only player that I've got to shout out, I mean, We've talked about this for years. We have these weeks where we do the pod, and it's like, are we going to sit here and talk about how amazing Devin Booker is again for 12 minutes? And I'll get into it with uh, what we're going to be talking about with award season. But I, he's just taking his game. I mentioned this in freaking November. Look at his splits month by month. He always goes up around January, February, March is when he really kicks it into gear. It's happening again right now since mid-January. He's averaging nearly 30 a game over 30-plus games. And this is what we've come to expect from him. I think that everyone else has stepped up their game in certain ways, but I don't really have much else to say on it, man. It's pretty cut and dry right now with what they're doing, and we have some follow-ups and news to get to, but they're like looking at their common play right now, I don't think there's much to it. Did you have anything else that you noticed over the last week of play? Just go look at Booker's post-All-Star break numbers. It's like 35-6, 5-6, and then like 54% shooting, 40-something percent from three. High volume. Pretty crazy, and he did it. I really think that the all the discussion points that he created with his posts, uh, great job by him, by the way, I got to say, because the MVP chance on Sunday, 
they were there, sort of, kind of low, but they were legitimate MVP chance for him all night when he went to the free throw line. Um, great job, everyone driving up the conversation, him himself as well. That's what you need to do to get in these types of conversations and stuff. And The odds just started shifting one night, right? Was that the T-Wolves game? or I just saw a bunch of, like, Tim Ring was posting... Like that just flipped, and he's jumping he, up from like nowhere in the realm of possibility to like third and fourth. He um, odds are f- crazy. Yeah, he Isaiah Thomas has that post. He quote tweets it with the criteria thing, and then I believe the next day or two is like when it is talked about because Isaiah is a prominent name. He's an NBA analyst in his own right, and books just talking about it on Twitter himself and talking about it in other places. So the conversation comes around. That's when the ESPN clip surfaces of Roz Goldenwude on NBA Today having a very bad take about the basketball player that Devin Booker is, including that he's not top 10 in scoring when he's 11th in scoring um, and, and things like that. So then the jaw and Kyrie tweeted. Yeah. yeah, And I would have to say the Denver game. I know that the Denver game was uh, I don't know if that was before the Minnesota game or the Denver game. I think the Minnesota game, but I, the book was clearly motivated by that clip for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean. It is what it is. We're here now. He, we're, we're where we're supposed to be, I think, which is that he is in the conversation. And then this is where I get frustrated. Um, why does it matter that he's in the conversation? Why does it matter that he gets fourth and, place, fourth and fifth place votes? Because we're talking about it. Because we're giving him recognition for the season that he has. And because people deserve to be looked at as MVP candidates. Is he a top three MVP candidate right now? I don't know i would have to really sit down and look at everything and i can honestly say that i have not done that yet so i'm not going to sit here and be the sun's guy and say yeah but i think that he should at least be someone you look through and comb through if you have a vote and you're looking at which is what i'm saying he's a candidate he's in the discussion and it matters that he's viewed that way and it should matter for what we're about to talk about which is that he should be first team all nba we said last last uh episode i was saying if if they don't get Monty Coach of the Year, if Book doesn't win, if Book doesn't get all first team NBA and uh, Bridges doesn't make all defense first team, all three of those are pretty much travesties in my eyes with the seasons that this team has had. And we're starting to get there in terms of momentum for the awards, I think. Which which was the whole point of this, you know? That was Then you get to the criteria. You get candidates and then you right. look at the criteria. And again, all this conversation the last week was about him being in the conversation. So people are saying, oh, he, why are they saying he deserves to win MVP? I don't think people are saying that. They're saying mostly conversation. So we, we don't want to go down that rabbit hole. But, I mean, that's just been the topic of everything. Uh, news and notes. Uh, a Lundberg is here in Phoenix. Uh, I believe he is going to, if everything is on pace and where it's supposed to be, I would assume he is going to practice tomorrow on Tuesday. Uh, they did not practice today, but if they had work days or whatever, I'm sure he was in there getting stuff done. Uh, he had visa issues, a two-way player that they signed, a Danish two-way player. He played in Russia, does not play in Russia anymore, becomes available. They signed with the second two-way spot, and I'm sure they're going to give him a look in one or two of these games at least, if not more, uh, because they're going to run into situations here where they're going to give guys some nights off, I would like to think. And he becomes a guy there, Cam Johnson. We have actually seen notable progress now, which was that he was practicing on Saturday, 
was practicing. Now, they didn't do a ton in practice, but he was practicing on Saturday. And then before the game on Sunday, he was going through his pregame work. He was running up and down with a member of the medical staff and kind of giving feedback on each kind of movement that he was feeling and stuff like that. And we weren't seeing any of that before. So I'm guessing that he's getting, not that he's getting, uh, he's improving because he's obviously been improving this whole time, but he's, he's legitimately close to returning. I feel confident in saying that now. Uh, we spoke with Monty Williams about plans for resting. We talked about that last week, Kevin. Sounds like they're just kind of coming up with it yesterday, today, tomorrow, or like these three days where they're really honing in on it and figuring out what they want to do. He did not sound to me, Kevin, like someone who is saying we're not going to give nights off to guys. It sounds like to me that they could take that Wednesday game against the Clippers so they play a one back-to-back. It's home against the Lakers on a Tuesday, and then on a Wednesday, they go to L.A. to play the Clippers. That game's on ESPN, though, and we know how weird that gets when guys get a bunch of nights off when it's an ESPN game, so I don't know if that's going to complicate things. You would guess with this group, Kevin, that they would want to beat the Lakers uh, for sure, and everyone would want to play in that game with the Lakers holding on for their playing lives <laughs> oh. from the frisky San Antonio Spurs and New Orleans Pelicans. Yikes. Yikes. I think that's about it, though. Um, nothing really new to report on that front. Like I said, he he seemed open to giving guys a, a night off or two. And I also do think, though, that there are opportunities against Golden State, Memphis, those two L.A. teams, and then Utah to actually get a little bit more reps in against good teams of what you want to run through. But we'll see. Maybe Utah has something to lose for or win for on that April 8th game that like changes the Suns thinking about how they want to go about that game. I don't know. I know for sure they're going to take this Wednesday game and really go after it against Golden State, and then they have Memphis on Friday. You want to run through awards? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so we had an episode of the podcast last year. I believe we did an episode of it as well as, I know we did a written post, I'm pretty sure we did a podcast as well, where the Suns were up for so many awards, there were so many different directions to take it, that you and I just picked the two cases that we really wanted to make. Uh, We have not gotten through the written post yet, but we kind of have a rough draft of kind of what we're looking at in terms of numbers and everything. Uh, You or me first? You can go. Which one to keep for? Okay, I'll start with the simple one. Uh, Monty for Coach of the Year. He is now, uh, you guys will be surprised to hear this because I was surprised to read it. He is minus 2,000 on DraftKings right now to win Coach of the Year, which is a substantial favorite. For you pure folks, that's good. That's Heavy odds, Monty will win it. That is very good. I think that what has helped, for sure, to turn this lesson to a conversation now is that Monty is... The Suns are at this point now where they're so much better than they were last year from a representative standpoint. It's funny, like, you go from 51 wins to 61 wins, you freaking won't they? They only played 72 games last yeah. year. But but don't tell anyone that because the, the win numbers went up. Um but they've obviously been better this year, and they have without a doubt been the best team in the league this year. And we talked about the mental gymnastics required, the unwritten rules to sort of understand about awards season, how you have to have someone talk about it, or the media talk about it, and then the media talk about the players talking about it, the media talking about the talk. If Monty wins it last year, he's not a candidate this year. Guys, yeah. <laughs> people just don't win it. But not only did he lose last year, but he lost when he should have won it. The uh, 33 and 42 feisty New York Knicks, led by Tom Thibodeau, oh. Kev, just uh, he's holding on to his job. Very, very coachable team in the plucky 11 spot. Uh, <laughs> four and a half games out from a play-in spot. Uh, the old 
well-coached New York Knicks by Tom Thibodeau. Excellent job he did there. What's crazy is I think, I mean, Monty, the odds make sense because there's going to be a sympathy vote where everyone last year, remember, coaches voted Monty for the coach of the year. Um, What is it? Writers and such did not. So now they realize they made a mistake probably, so he's just going to get it, but... This has yeah. happened before with awards like Defensive Player of the Year, Sixth Man of the Year, kind of things like this. There's I'm, an extra benefited case that someone has from it before. I'm wondering if Monty had those comments. You can paraphrase better than me, but he was basically like, I didn't really care that I lost the award, but when I heard like they announced it live and he was in the office. He had his, he had his, sometimes he'll often close his door in his office to lock in, but there's a certain part of like his routine where he'll leave the door open. And that was when they announced it. And the locker room was pissed. I, I'm wondering if that's like the moment where there's like next year we need to kind of create a little buzz for ourselves, for each other about these award things. Cause they don't want to see Monty Williams lose coach of the year award again when they are rolling like this and they don't want to see book get off left off certain teams and out of the mvp conversation and all that in typical social media fashion uh some people now have like this view of Devin booker that he like is complaining about these awards and stuff and it's like i, I just think that he is a just gonna say it say what other guys won't say because other guys always feel this way yeah like donovan mitchell and rudy gobert both think they should make all nba like they're they feel that way and, and Rudy Gobert has been outspoken about that and been honest about how he feels and and how he got emotional when he wasn't named an all-star all NBA it was one of those two but guys just aren't often uh, honest about it and just speak about it and he is and to your point I think that he they they know how important it is for them to speak up for themselves because I say no one else is going to do it someone else will do it but it's out of your control who does it it doesn't matter that we say it Kevin it matters if Stephen A. Smith and Skip Bayless yeah it. that's the world that we live in now yeah. Um, shout out Shannon Sharp and his Diet Mountain Dew. <laughs> Monty is minus 2,000. The Suns are 61 and 14 as we record this. The three other play, uh, coaches in the race, according to this, are four, actually. Eric Spolster's plus 700 in Miami. Memphis and Taylor Jenkins plus 800. JB Bickerstaff plus 1,000 in Cleveland. Uh, and then M.A. Udoka plus 1,500 in Boston. Memphis is 52 and 23. I think that's one of those things where the Suns have been so awesome. You look past the fact that the Grizzlies are nearly 30 games over 500. If I had to pick someone that would win it, if not Monty, I think it's obviously Taylor Jenkins. Miami is 47 and 28, but they were already like a really good team. That's not like a, a coming up thing like Cleveland was. Uh, Cleveland's 41 and 33. They've dealt with so many injuries and they've lost three straight now. So I think that case is sort of dying down where if they would have been a 50-win team, it would have been harder to deny Bickerstaff, especially just looking at that team where you're like, yeah, maybe they're playing, and it's like, oh, are they going to win the East? And I think that they would have been right up there with this group in the East if they would have stayed healthy, but they've just had this plethora of injuries that have been really unfortunate uh, to their season. Boston is 47-28. and They've had a terrific post-All-Star break stretch. They won six in a row. They're 9-1 and their last 10. They are number one in the East right now, tied with Miami but I don't think that uh, there's enough juice there either. But, I mean, we sat here and said this about Monty before. Um, in terms of a case, I mean, he's, tur- he's helped turn around the entire program. I've, I've written about this, talked about this so many times that I'm not going to exhaust you guys again who have heard it enough already. And I think 
tactically and stylistically, he actually has improved as a coach a lot over the last two years. Because he, when we talked about the rest thing, he was like, I've never been in this position as a head coach before, so we're going to figure it out, but I don't know. Like, we're going to figure it out. And to that point, he had never coached a team before that had won a playoff series, let alone a, a team that went to the finals. And you can tell, as much as we talk about the young players getting playoff experience, that he learned a lot from it, too. I think he's been a much better coach this year, and he was already a really good coach last year. And he deserves a lot of credit for that and an award like this for that, Kevin. Also, you look at when – I maybe I overemphasize this, but when you lose key guys off your staff like Willie Green, sometimes the second guy on charge masks a lot for head coaches, especially in their first few seasons on jobs. He leaves. They really haven't skipped a beat, and I'm sure he was a really great coach. He's doing great with Pelicans this year, but – um, I think that credit goes to Monty for filling that however he has. And, um, yeah, they're just start to finish. I guess the start, they were a little bumpy. That's why we got a pizza party today and Gambo made fun of us. I won't go down that road of that story, but we got pizza because we all predicted they would win 60 games on this season. And, yeah, this team has just been rolling, and you got to give Monty credit. What you got first? I'll go Mikel Bridges for Defensive Player of the Year. and Now, this is interesting. Yeah. Because when I brought this to you and we were kind of talking about how we wanted to split this up, I said, you can make it all defense if you want, if you don't want to make yeah. the Defensive Player of the Year case. The floor is yours, I'll make sir. the case. Last year, close to making all defensive team, I am taking this stance because I've been firmly a... This award always goes to the dude who has the most blocks. Um, I'm looking at the odds right now. Marcus Smart actually is the favorite. I would be not super surprised if he won it, and he's been a tough defensive player all like his whole career. That's really just because they've come on strong lately, I believe. Um, Number one defense in the league and have been for most of the year. Yeah. Which is kind of his case. And it's always one of those Marcus. We want to reward Marcus Smart. We've loved Marcus Smart forever. We've never given him this kind of award, though, or recognition. And here it comes. But hey, if he's there right now, um, Mikel Bridges has been doing that the past few years. And I think just we talk about how much he moves, how much he covers as far as from a diversity standpoint which marcus smart can't say he does because he's just on the smaller end of things um i just think that mikhail if this if that's going to be a change this year where it's not the big guys then it, it should be mikhail and look bam great player um interestingly enough kevin robert williams with the celtics has better odds for defense player of the year with the celtics than marcus smart does that has been where the case has lied. Um, right, Smart, that's crazy. Or Robert Williams just tore his meniscus. Yeah. So I don't know how that affects last eight games of the year or whatever, if that affects his case at all. Um, Kevin, it should, because guess who has never missed a game since high school? <laughs> Cal Bridges. Yeah. I mean, you can go down this list. Rudy's always good, but he got exposed in the playoffs for one series, and suddenly he's like, what? He's still up there. He's fourth. Jaron Jackson Jr., good defender Giannis yeah um again that that's one of those where it's like yeah we could pick this guy every year but what what juice do we want to have what criteria change do we want to have in this this year so if I'm going to make a case for Mikel defense player of the year do it now because 
best team. I think they deserve considerations on these things. And we've talked about on this podcast how much it saves Devin Booker, how much it saves Chris Paul, um, how much it's complemented by DA on the back end. So I don't know. I just I don't see another name that's just like no one else is doing what he's doing. No one's doing what he's now doing. Now you can say Rudy Gobert is carrying a defense interior on the interior. No one is carrying a defense on the perimeter, and no one is carrying the defense on the perimeter while supporting two All Stars at the same time. No one is supporting a defense on the perimeter by playing the most minutes in the league right now. No one is supporting a defense more on the perimeter than running the most on defense by anyone. No one on the perimeter is doing all of that while chasing around Steph Curry while following John Moran through ball screens, while covering Luka Doncic's four different holes and covering his step back, while holding James Harden to 28% shooting over the course of three games, playing a big factor in doing that against Harden. No one else is doing what he's doing, and I test-wise, it tells you that he's been the best perimeter defender in the league, and I think that if you are a perimeter defender and you win that award because you are not the anchor and you are not the heart of the defense by default because that's always going to be a rim protector... You need to have this sort of individual case, and he has played every single game. He leads the league in minutes, all that kind of stuff. Like He is covering every single kind of big perimeter player that you need to guard, and the value that that has for his team is insane. I think that he has been the best defensive player in the year this year. I really do. Now you can look at it more simply and take away like how he is in the ecosystem of the Suns and just like go look at him when he guards those guys, yeah. Good. Yeah, Chris Paul said it last night about when he was asked about book MVP stuff, and he's just like, "Just go watch the tape, man." I don't know. Yeah, Bill Simmons and Ryan Russillo on Simmons podcast uh, that came out last night just talked about Simmons ran through the sixty-five the wins to the teams to win over sixty-five games and the historical precedence for the season that they're having right now. They just have to go four and three in their last seven here to hit that. Uh, or no. They have to go 5-2 and two to hit that kind of mark where you're talking 66 wins and above and really reaching a historical uh, level of their regular season dominance. And it's just, they talked about it there. They're like, they were trying to figure out, like, why is everyone kind of hesitating on this team? Because, again, the verbiage people use, they don't even realize when they're doing it, but they just say the Suns are the best team in the regular season. Why aren't you saying they're the title favorites? When you're talking about... The Suns' chances, you're talking about in the West. Why are you not talking about it in the league? Meanwhile, when you're talking about the Heat or the Sixers, you're talking about the Nets winning it all. You're not (sighs) talking about the East there. You see, it's just those little things. Uh, I have Devin Booker for first-team All-NBA, Kevin. I'm not going to sit here and make the MVP case because I don't really think it's there. I think that the statistical dominance, speaking of dominance, of those three guys is really hard to overcome. And guess what, Kevin? If Chris Paul didn't exist... I think Devin Booker would be right there. I think he'd be averaging, what, 31, 32 a game right now, probably, somewhere around there. But there's this guy named Chris Paul who has the ball in his hands a whole lot. And guess what? Even when Chris Paul was out, Book's still taking 20 shots a game because that's what his team needs to win the most. It doesn't need him hogging the ball and hoarding up the defense. And it's just never going to get there for a statistical case. Maybe it will in a couple of years when he really reaches his apex and it's really his offense. But we got to wait till then for the MVP talk to come. It's not I, this year. I have two questions. One, yep. if you just, if we do, they do it by guards, right? Forwards, that crap. Yep. Pick two guards. Who would you pick for first team? John Book? Trey Young has a statistical case. Here are the five other names I have up. Okay. So I've got Devin Booker. Here's the thing that we got to start with 26 and a half a game. Five rebounds, five assists, 
1.2 steals, by the way. Hmm? 46.5% from the field, 38 from three, 87 from the line. That is a first-team All-NBA caliber. Like there, You could look at his numbers and say he doesn't even deserve to be in the discussion. Passes that test. We're already there. Now what I do, Kevin, is I line up the rest of these numbers and I say, who is statistically dominating the league in the way Giannis or Jokic or Embiid is to deny him this spot when you consider how much better his team has been? Mm -hmm. And the five other names, I have Steph Curry, DeMar DeRozan, Luka Doncic, LeBron James, John Moran. I believe DeMar's going to be down there as a guard or a forward. His case has fallen off considerably since the Bulls. But, I mean, his year, he's averaging 28, 5, and 5. 50.5% 50.5% from the field. He's shooting 50%, Kev. He's, yeah. he's been incredible. I think that just because the Bulls fell off, the momentum kind of died for his case. Um, 87% at the line, shooting nearly eight a game at the line. He's been great, but he has fallen off. But I run down the list, Kevin. Luka Doncic, LeBron James, John Morant. Guess who's the best defender of those guys, Kevin, when it's half the game? No one pays attention to that. But. Who's been the best on defense? I think that it matters quite a bit. For my argument, at least I'm yes. going to use that. And again, to your point, He's in an ecosystem and in an environment where he can play that, but we've watched him, and he was covering James Harden a bit last night. Yep. He's he's still covering pretty tough stuff, even when Mikel Bridges is there to Change to the narrative in the finals. Guess where Stephen Curry and Luka Doncic are, Kevin? Guess where LeBron James is? They're on the weak side corner, just standing there. And uh, he's not doing that a lot. Book's not doing that a lot, because guess who's doing that, if anyone on the team? Chris Paul's doing that. He can't do that. Here are the other cases. LeBron James is averaging 30 points, 8 rebounds, 6 assists per game. He is shooting 52% from the field, 36 from 3, 76 at the line. It is a incredibly great statistical campaign that I don't care about. I'm not putting him first team All-NBA. No. Am I influenced, I will not say biased, Kevin, am I influenced by what I watched him do defensively two weeks ago in the game LA had here? Absolutely. I saw that and I was like, I cannot say that that guy's been one of the five best players in the league when he's trying like that in yeah. a basketball game. In a basketball game that he should really care about. He should care about the fact that Jay Crowder salsaed and Chris Paul imitated Andre Drummond imitating him. And he should just go out, and he's not going all out for those games. Why is he? Why isn't he? I don't care. He's just not doing it. Yeah, the team is a mess. It has a lot to do with him. Not happening. And you know me, Kevin. I picked the Lakers to win last year over the Suns in the playoffs because I respect LeBron James that much. Yeah. Haven't seen it this year, Kev. I can't do it. I can't sit here and give him that first team spot of card. Luca, Luca, twenty eight a game, nine rebounds a game, eight point five assists per game, one point two steals per game. LeBron, by the way, one point three steals per game. Luca's carrying a team that has no offense. Forty five, thirty five, seventy three. The Dallas Mavericks, Kev, forty six and twenty nine. Pretty good record. Pretty good. Not bad. Let's pause on Luca, shall we? Yeah, let's go yeah, yeah. let's go back to him. I think we can argue okay. he's in the discussion. DeMar, I just think the Bulls are kinda they're they're forty three and thirty one. I, I I don't think that it's fair to discredit DeMar for it, because I think that it's been other problems and it's been health. But with that being said, forty three wins is eighteen less than sixty one, and uh I can't give him that other spot right now. So I'm not yeah. eliminating him, but we're going to hold him out. Yeah. Someone's calling into the podcast. See, I want to hang this up, but it's probably a call for someone else in another studio, and I don't want to hang it up, but I feel like they would have answered by now. So I'm going to do that, and we'll see if that... That didn't, didn't do, do anything. anything. <laughs> that didn't do anything. It'll stop eventually, right? 
You would Dude, think. I don't know how to work an office phone, man. I'm a blog boy. Don't I don't want to push buttons because it would go on the air. Okay. I did it. Moving. You can decide if we keep that in or yeah, not. We'll I don't see. know, man. You can listen to Do it and see if it was. What's that, what's that good audio? We'll find out. <laughs> Stephen Curry, Kev. 26 a game. That's lower than you would expect. That's a point less than Devin Booker. Shooting percentages. Five rebounds per game. Six assists per game. Good. 1.3 steals. Uh, he is only shooting 43.7% from the field, but Kevin, he is shooting 11.7 threes per game yeah. and is shooting 38% on those, which is a little bit low. Uh, free throw percentage, 92. If we go to true shooting percentage, Kevin, yeah. he's second among the six guys we're going to be talking about, 60.1, okay. 2.5% higher than Devin Booker. I think that the efficiency argument is still there just because of the amount of threes he takes, how much value. Three points are more than two, Kevin. I don't know if you've heard. I've heard. Lastly... Mm. Mr. Morant, mm. 27.6 points per game. 6.7 assists is kind of low, Kev. I got to say, I got to say, Kev, this Book's is me. Up there, yeah. I got to say, as the point guard, as the number one man on a team, 6.7 is kind of low. I got to say, if we're sitting here nitpicking, I'm going to pick the nit a little bit. I'm going to pick it. 49 from the field, 34 from three. Uh-oh. 76 at the line. That's That's not great. 5.7 rebounds, 1.2 steals. When I go to our old friend, true shooting percentage, <laughs> uh, the same as Book, 57.5. Yeah. Uh, Luca down there at 56.4, but uh, in terms of efficiency, he's on the same volume. I feel sorry for Luca, so I'm not, yeah. You know what I love, Kev? He's on that team. What? A good assist-to-turnover ratio. Oh, I go. love it. Percentage of possessions... A player turns over, also known as turnover percentage. Yeah. 15.4 for our old friend Luca. Uh, he has to do every single thing on that, whatever Whoa. roster you want to call it. So we're going to give him an old pass. Steph Curry, 13.2. Never been a good thing in his game. John ja Morant, 12.5. And in assist percentage, he's at 33.8, which is pretty great. But that's pretty high. I don't like it. Uh, and then our old friend LeBron James, 12.4. You know who I haven't named yet, Kev? Devin. 9.6, career best. That's Ta- turnover percentage. Taking care of that rock. It's pretty good. It's not bad. For high volume, high basketball dribble guy. You know what the whole point of this was, Kevin? Hmm. I don't care who that second guard is because I know who the first one is. Oh. Yeah. I don't need to, I don't need to say. I don't have a vote. <laughs> I just need to know if Book should make first team All NBA. And you know what? I don't even need to. Nope. I feel good about most things. Best team, also we forgot to mention top top percentage of teams. The one thing that influences my decision here, Kevin Jaw, would be my second pick. I think. I think yeah. he would be um, importance to the team. I don't know how much we factor that into this. Uh, the Grizzlies' record without Jaw is tremendous, and you and I both know. I don't think we've seen it that much with Book. If I go through his game log right now, I think it's like some like five and three or something like that. This little, this little bitty stretch. Uh, they went six and two without him uh, in that first stretch, and then they went three and one without him for that second. stretch. I use that more in MVP combos when like yeah. Steve Nash was on the. I think that was the first oh four oh five team where they played like six games in a row without him. Like literally lost like 
one one in five or something like that. And it was like, oh, this guy's like kind of important. That's kind of a very good example of most valuable. But I wouldn't say Grizzlies going that. I don't like use it like using it to discount their cases that bad. But fifteen and two is pretty strong. You know how the comedic gold that is the lie detector when it goes like it like it. Did you feel that at any point? Not that I was lying, but during any of the cases that I ran through, were you like, eh, I don't know, to anything I said? Because the whole point of me doing that was to say, I don't see, even if you just look at the statistical and the team arguments, I don't see where you can absolutely, without a doubt, say that someone else should be above him. That was the whole point of my exercise. Maybe Jaw? Jaw on a night-to-night basis has been... Most voters should find... Is right up there. Yeah. He's, he, I would say, he should be in the top three of most voters and probably one or two. I could say individually on a nice night basis, he's been the best player of these six, but the Suns have just been better and Booker's their best player. And that's really where I'll go with that. I'll be that person because me and you have talked about all the time, even going back to last season when we saw full season, one of the best point guards of all time, arguably the greatest point guard of all time, which I've said on this podcast before. Whoa, shocking. Magic Johnson, all those guys. Yeah, I said it. I still think Devin Booker's been their best player both years. He's been the more important player, too. My other question I was going to ask you, do you think he gets first team? No. Do you think he gets second team? Maybe. Do you think he's on third? Yes. I think he might be third. If I had to bet on one of the three he'd be, he'll be third. What are the chances you think he doesn't make any team? 20%. That's pretty high still for a dude on best. Yeah. Until we get proven otherwise that this guy doesn't get respect, then I don't know. He, He... like, Again, we cannot pinpoint why it happens, but it just happens. There are a lot of good candidates. I think that's why. But when you're on the East Coast, you're like, oh, Levine and DeMar, like they had a bad stretch at the end, but their numbers are great. Trey Young is in the conversation. His numbers are outstanding individually, even though the Hawks have been kind of not even close to what expectations were, that kind of thing. So we've listed a lot of players is all my thought is, um, but hopefully the the complaining and pushing to get him in the MVP conversation. Because if he's in the MVP conversation now, which he is pretty solidly, and he doesn't end up on even second team, I'm going to say, like, that's that's silly. You know what's a huge problem? Three of the names I mentioned. LeBron James. Yeah, just Luka Doncic. Automatic. Stephen Curry. Yeah, automatic. Three guys who are just automatic first team every year, pretty much, Yeah, when they're playing at this level. He's been better than them this year, but... uh don't know if that's going to matter. Will be interesting. Kev, three possessions into the game, LeBron was just walking back on I've never seen anything like it. I just cannot. I want to I sit think, here and say that the statistical year he's had is impressive, but I can't do it. He got better as a shooter. I'll give him that. That's what I'll say about his season. I will say that it speaks to his overall dominance as a player that he can coast, coast through a season and put up one of the greatest statistical seasons we've seen in the last like five to ten years. Coasting. To put my Bill Simmons hat on there. Apologies, everyone. I listened to the pod last week. That last night, that stuff's still in my head a bit. What well, you got? I'm. This is like kind of not the strongest take, but I think it's worth pointing out. Six man of the year. I think Ty- Tyler Hero is going to win it. He sure is, Kev. That's not even close. It's Dude not. scoring twenty points off the bench. That's a lot. Really should count him as a starter. But that's not how this works. That's it not is this not how it is. works because he comes off the bench. Yep, pretty Remember pretty how Monty easy. Was, that's criteria right there. Yeah. Remember how Monty was minus two thousand? Yeah. Tyler Hero's minus twenty thousand right now for the award. <laughs> it's done. Other guys up there, Kelly Oubre. 
and Kevin Love. Those are Kevin the two Love. other nominees that uh, and they then have. it falls off Buddy Heel. Who is not uh, on this list of odds, Kevin? Clarkson. That you're about to say. Well, who is after Jordan Clarkson? Actually, tied on FanDuel right now is Cameron Johnson. Ooh. So he's actually higher, and people are noticing him. Um, man, I don't even think it was that next game that mattered. I think it was just like you mentioned to me, kind of as a. I don't know if you want to do most improved. I don't think he's in that because there are a lot of good candidates there this year. That's tough. And you, you need a lot of minutes too, and it's just like, you need like a hard, huge jump or something. Hard to win that off the bench. So yeah, I, I think just sixth man. The importance he's basically like their sixth starter. If you throw him in there, um, whether it's Mikel, Jay, he's going to have big numbers. Um, yeah, man, great all around. I, had a weird start to the season where he was kind of searching for how to add to his game, but he definitely found it and found it pretty smoothly. And the shooting, as we've said all season, off the charts. So I just think, yeah, he he should be in that conversation again. If we're talking who's after Hero, then Cam Johnson. Um, But yeah, he deserves that credit for that award. It's fun we can do this, by the way. There are so many awards that good teams can like qualify players for wow remember we couldn't do this podcast when they were winning 19 games that's all i'm saying Rashawn holmes had a case Oof, shouldn't talk about him no you hate to see it anyway it's every day man someone's actually like a terrible human being all right oh on that note you can- speaking of the 19 win days we always did that yeah, even yeah, when we have positive conversation we make a negative we should not uh cam johnson is it's, it was one of those things where it's like, oh, he's just scoring 12, at least 12 points off the game, off the bench every game. And that is the that is sixth man of the year gusto to me when he had that uh, streak of 19 games, 20 games in a row before he got hurt the first time where it was uh, his ankle or whatever it was. 10 games uh, or uh, double digit points and those kind of streaks. And then we were talking 20, 22, 18, 17, so on. That's uh, pretty great. Uh, most improved maybe he can be in the most improved conversation kind of next year maybe maybe he gets even more minutes next year i can see it when if or when they move on and if he ever gets in that starting lineup pay him his money oh yeah give him his money you'll figure out the rest later yeah pay him his money (laughs) it's just it's pretty simple new tv deals and stuff Always, always just pay them early. Uh, you don't, you when don't you have a solid guy like that and you know his work ethic, you know what to get out of him. You don't have to do any extra because he's a diva or anything. Yeah. You don't, there's like very little. Averaging like that. 19 a game as a starter this year. Babe is money. All right. We're done here for the Suns portion of the podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you are not. If you oh, uh, oh, like, hey, like I can listen gonna to take a hard right. I here. can listen to Kellen on the on in the background, but I don't really like that guy. I want to listen to him be miserable. You're in for a treat because last week I spent Cat's Talk slowly getting more depressed as the uh, Cat's Talk portion went on, and you kind of pointed out, and I kind of realized at the end, like, oh man, I'm in a bad mood now. I just feel terrible. <laughs> Uh, that is because I was slowly realizing it was really dawning on me that I was not going to get some sort of magical turnaround and the regular season cats were not going to the Pac-12 tournament cats were not going to pop up anywhere, Kevin. Um, 
Houston gave him that business. This is the season finale. Not the series finale, Kev. Hopefully we have another season. Maybe it's not next year, but we'll get there again. Season finale, Cats Talk. They get bombarded by Houston. This was during the Denver game, I want to say. I had it up on another monitor. I had like an iPad situation in the corner. I kept looking down and... There's Tubelis throwing it to a ghost. There's Justin Kyer hitting someone's mother in the third row. <laughs> um, they were just, it was more of what we talked about last week, Kevin. And the question that I present to you, I said this in the newsroom earlier, kind of spoiled my, my, my material here, let you know ahead of time. Try to keep it as organic as possible. But here's my thing. You are in two camps. You are in one. They were always this team to a certain extent, meaning that they were not the team that they thought they were. Or they are, and they just underperformed extremely. Uh, it's one of those two. The third one that people are taking is really weird, which is a, this was never expected. Good for them. Great. Mm-hmm. I think that is beep, beep, beep. I can't say the words out loud that I want to. I think that sucks. I think it really does suck because... Look, NBA teams get better over the course of the year, Kevin, but especially watching Sean Miller teams, like Sean Miller defense, defenses in October and November, or December, rather, with the, with their calendar, you just kind of be like, oh, okay, like this could be a good defense, and then by March they're the best defensive team in the country every year, just because college basketball teams improve in season so dramatically, and that's what this team did. They turned into a national title contender. I don't care what anyone says of the, well, it's okay that they made they're it They're the first non-ranked team to start the preseason to make it in the final well if they had done it don't care what camp are you in uh i'm in the they were always i'm kind of both i don't know how to pick i think their flaws were very predictable by us and that's why before the game we were both like seeing and like this doesn't seem good because yes we had seen what happened the first two games but they did it for three games they did the exact same thing three games Kelvin Sampson said he went through and watched the way Pac-12 teams defended Arizona, and he was like, oh, no, I'm not doing this. I'm doing what I should, what everyone else should have been doing, which is really interesting because... <sighs> everyone was so worried about their size, and it's just like, why don't you just ball pressure the heck out of them with your length, and they can't dribble. Big time callback on this, Kev. College coaches are pretty bad. They're yeah. just not good. And Kelvin Sampson just threw out a game plan that no one had ever thrown at Arizona. And the way that they were battle-tested, we thought they were battle-tested in these harsh road environments, these close games. They were not battle-tested in the way that they should have been, apparently, because Kelvin Sampson saw the way they should have been battle-tested, put it to the test, and Arizona completely folded. It completely affected their confidence in every single way. And uh, just really disappointing. TCU did do it the week before before so it's like they if they were getting that for the first time they should have been more prepared and they looked even worse um i don't know how much if you rewatched put yourself through that pain once you're away from the suns game did you see like legitimately tubelis could not catch a ball and it was to the point where I, I kid you not, there had to have been like 10 turnovers created by the ball going toward his direction. It might have been a bad pass or, you know, he tips it because he can't grab it and tagged on someone else. Um, I've never seen a player look that out of it. Deep cut here, Kev. You remember Jared Saltolamacchio? Yes. 
he could not make it to the majors because he could not throw to the mound as a catcher. He had the yips. And that's sort of like, that's what Tubelis looked like. It was just, who are you? What's happening to you? And it made me, this is what happened during the game, Kevin. I got actually concerned for him. I'm like, is something happening in his life right now that he needs to be paying attention to more than basketball right now? I was worried. And I was like, is he playing through an ACL tear or something? What's going on with this guy? Because I sat here and said, he's the best player on the team. He has underperformed this year, but he's still the best player on this team. He wasn't that bad this year. And then he was just, what most people were saying I agree with, he was our most consistent player this year as well. Maybe wasn't their best, but people were saying consistent. I thought he underperformed. I thought talent-wise, just his ability, skill, he's the best player on the team. And then he's just a ghost in this game and just completely overwhelmed in a way that had to meteorically tank his draft stock beyond belief. Which, oh, again, yeah. I feel bad for the guy now. I feel awful for him. Going, like, what? He was jumping passing lanes so egregiously and like poorly timed that it would just get turned into a layup. And it was like, why did you even do that? You're you're the power forward. Just just meet him at the three-point line. Yeah, man. I don't know. Does this... Okay. He wasn't the only one either. That was the thing, too. Do you have any other thoughts on the game? I didn't really... I didn't get to see a lot of it. I saw bits of it. I don't think anyone specifically as a player played well, but it was just the house of cards collapsed. You know, I, I don't think anyone could have played well in that kind of environment. I, I think other guys tried to step up. There were little weird moments in the game. They were down two in the second half. Like, Larson yeah. gets that layup. Then there's the weird collapse by Houston where it's like they can't close out the game because of the ball pressure. They looked like an old U of A team trying to break a press. Remember when U of A couldn't b- break a press for 10 years? And then TJ McConnell came in and was like, you just dribble and then pass the ball. They're like, what? <laughs> Why can't Mustafa Shakur and Nick Wise do this? Like, I can, I can do that. Um... That was it from the game, though, for me. I didn't really have any takeaway impressions. Nothing like that. Um, no, nah, I don't. Yeah, I don't think they were. I think they are who they are, and they got exposed. To send us off into the sunset on the exposed note, mm-hmm. does this make you less optimistic about the Tommy Lloyd era after this, or are you still? Are you still where you were at before? Did this nah. did this affect your outlook in the future? No. It I think d- he was flawed roster. Pretty good roster for first year scrounging for players to return. Just like the first year at Texas Tech when Cliff Kingsbury lost 10 of 12 games or whatever the heck he was doing over there in the second half of the year. I know how long a college football season is. I'm exaggerating whatever it was, 5 of 7. Um, this is now on my radar. I'm not going to take it into account by any means, but I need to see a trend first. And to your point, first year wasn't even his team. Yeah. I had such a good tweet ready. When they were making the Final Four, I was going to tweet, wow, if only Sean Miller would have had this type of team to get to the Final <laughs> Four. I had it ready. It would have done numbers. I, I was so excited. Had it in the brain for months. And hmm. Hey, look. They're going to lose two dudes to the draft. You keep core together. Look, I like Creesa for his flaws. Do you no think anyone turn. is in danger of leaving that's not going to the draft? Not those two. After Coloco and Matherin. Because Bala is just going to, Bala wouldn't leave because he's going to start Terry is now. getting some juice, but. Where else would they go, though? That's the thing. Like, they're, yeah. a, they're, at a, they're at a really high-level program already on a team that just played super-duper well, and they're all going to get playing time, I guess. Jalen Noel's brother's there. Adama Ball was like Tommy Lloyd's recruit. Jalen Noel's brother's there? Yeah. I didn't know this. What's his name? I, did, I don't star. know. I, I barely know anything about the roster by yeah. seven guys. Adama Ball is was like 17 when he got there or something and there's a two guard coming in right that's gonna be the starter probably as a freshman i don't remember 
Okay. <laughs> Either way, um, like Terry, Tubelis, Ballo, and Kerr, like that's Creasa. That's that's to run back in the Pac-12 for sure because UCLA is going to lose their guys, I think, right? That's the other thing. It's like who has – okay, you're a fifth-year senior, but can you be a sixth-year senior with this COVID stuff? I have no idea. I feel fine about the next year, but long-term, they get that one big from Gilbert, Dylan Anderson. They'll have a couple bigs. Maybe he beats out Ballo. Maybe he doesn't. As long as they play this style offensively, which uh, after watching in the tournament, Kevin, my one concern is that it's tied to Kirk Carissa and you need a point guard like Kirk Carissa to get it, and those point guards, as as Bobby Hurley has shown, are pretty difficult to find. Uh, that's where I worry because I love watching the style they play, but I wonder how much of, much of it is dictated by the lunatic point guard who always sprints the ball up and <laughs> takes threes with 28 seconds left on the shot clock. Uh, bless his soul. I think Tommy has the... T- Dan Tony, you need to push it. Yeah, but did, did you watch Winning Time last night? I I am only on the first one. Uh, okay, I'm it's sorry. it's a very good it's modern offensive principles being shown uh, through the new head coach where he's saying this possession took twenty seconds. Kareem, you took eight dribbles and then the sky hook. Bad <laughs> offense. We're gonna run. No, don't run there though. And it's all this stuff. It was fun. All right, bud. Uh, Cats Talk listeners, gosh, thank you so much for being here. We're not even making it up. There were people who tweeted at us, yeah. If you're a Suns person just listening to this message. Like a couple. No one is outside with the sign again. That was a one-time thing. He's at home. Yeah, we'll bring this back. Maybe we'll dabble into other stuff, you know, Mando Season 3 or something, the Obi-Wan show. Who knows? Maybe we'll dabble. I still need to get back into Clone Wars. I dipped in and enjoyed (laughs) myself and just stopped watching because I'm a squirrel. There are fun droids throughout, dude. I love I love the droids. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week to uh, sort of start to wrap up the regular season. Keep an eye on the site. Uh, we are going to have plenty of not basketball, basketball stuff to write about, if that makes sense, less about their play for the next two weeks and more about what we've seen from the regular season and what's going to come. I have the start of a series that should be going up on Monday today. That is what we learned from last postseason, how it applies to this year, starting with home court, because uh, they got that, and it, it, it matters, folks. Fun. You all matter to us. We'll be back next week. Bye.